Welcome to another Social Policy Connections audio podcast. If you would like to attend one of our events, please refer to our website, www.socialpolicyconnections.com.au. Please feel free to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or an RSS feed located on our website's home page, as we will be publishing podcasts regularly free of charge. The following podcast features a lecture delivered by Professor John Warhurst entitled Politics, Religion and Election. The talk was presented to Social Policy Connections on Wednesday the 4th of August at the Study Centre of Yarra Theological Union. John Warhurst was born in Adelaide and educated in politics and economics at Flinders University in South Australia. He has taught political science in various universities for more than 30 years and is now Professor of Political Science at the Australian National University. He is a former President of the Australasian Political Studies Association and now writes a weekly column for the Canberra Times. He is active in public affairs as Chair of the Australian Republican Movement. Professor Warhurst. Thank you very much, Bruce, and th thank you all for the invitation. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here, and the warmth of the hospitality has been overwhelming. And I brought the rain too, I was told, so uh, what more could you ask for a visitor? Um, I've been, I know my topic is religion, uh, social issues, and the 2010 election, and I've been sitting here looking at you, the audience, thinking, what what sort of things are you particularly interested in? Um, but there is a saying about uh, not not changing the jockey on a horse at the last minute, which is probably a, an adage for politics at the moment. Uh, so I'll uh, I will give my talk, but I did want to say that I I'm not speaking about the election in general, but I'm happy to do so. Um, uh, and I'm not talking about local politics and local lobbying, but I'm happy to happy to do so um, in conversation uh, afterwards, question question and answer. And I think there may be some elements of what I say which is relevant to both of those both of those topics. Um, but I want to talk generally about religion and politics in Australia, uh, with a focus on elections and to some extent a focus on so social issues working up to talking about the 2010 uh, election. So it's a bit of this and a, and a bit of that, and uh, I'll try and keep myself to the 40, to the 40 minutes. Um, my perspective is political science, so I approach religion and politics much as I would any other social category or issue. The same rules apply, the same uh, disciplined two-party political system uh, which we have in Australia and which is causing quite a bit of uh, discomfort at the moment, uh, uh, I think, right around, right around the country. And the same interpretive frameworks apply. So for me, religion as an issue and the churches as a group who are trying to influence uh, politics can be studied in the same way as, as any other group or any other issue and the same, same uh, analytical tools should apply. The churches, of course, have been major players in Australian federal elections for at least the last 60 years and probably for the 
back to Federation or, or beforehand. The churches, and I'm talking particularly about the Christian churches, have tried to set the issue for elections. They've reacted publicly to government policies. They've taken sides between the parties and they've collaborated with the parties. And they've always urged participation by Christians in politics and respect for politics as a vocation. I think that's been a, a common theme in what uh, the churches have had to say. In turn, of course, the political parties have courted and flattered the churches and religious believers. As governments, the parties have been attentive to at least some of the policy concerns of, uh, of the churches, particularly perhaps in the area of education over the last uh, 50 years or so, but in some other areas uh, as well. This relationship, because that's what it is, and I think that's what politically active people need to try and work at constructing, uh, means, of course, that there's been considerable advocacy by the churches and by religious groups as a matter of course in Australian politics. And we need to dispense, I suppose, right from the start, the idea that there's a separation between church and state in Australia. There's not. The churches uh, speak out as of right. Uh, there's no wall of separation as sometimes uh, described in the United States. Like any other organisation or movement, the churches in the public square have their limitations and some of what I'll say will be about the limitations but also the strengths of the churches uh, in, in politics. I suppose a particular issue that the churches are, uh, are faced with and religious believers are faced, faced with is whether, whether, what language they should use in engaging with, in with politics, whether it should be the language of Christian social teaching, for instance, or the language of the Bible, um, or whether it should be uh, sanitised, if you like, in a way which I would not recommend, uh, in terms of trying to speak the language of so-called rational public policy making uh, in our democratic system. I think being true to, true to yourself, uh, which is a lesson that the political leaders are learning at the moment, is probably the best uh, guide to participation in, in politics. Social issues, of course, need to be weighed and balanced. Um, I suppose I should say that my, uh, one of my starting points is that priorities are important for anyone engaged in politics. The people who have priorities are the ones who are effective and the ones who win. You might say the people who are single-minded are the ones who, who, who win. The, most, not, the majority doesn't necessarily win in uh, politics. Uh, we're seeing that on a number of issues in the current Australian election. What often wins, if they can penetrate the political process, is those who are most intense about their beliefs, those who are most determined uh, about, their, about their beliefs. Um, the point of me saying that was to is that I think we need to weigh in our own minds, and the churches have always, and I don't think the churches have um, effectively come to the answer in their own minds about what our priorities are in Australian in Australian politics. Um, on the one hand, how do we balance the social against other policies, the economic or the foreign or other sorts of policies? Is the social preeminent? Uh, it certainly weighs very heavily with me as, a, as an individual, but it doesn't necessarily weigh heavily with, with others. And even within social issues and social policies, what are our priorities? Um, 
a particular issue, and we can't get away from it in a Catholic context, and I think also in a wider Christian context, is the balance between what you might call life matters, stem cell research, abortion, euthanasia, about, about which there are a number of very determined and intensely committed people in our community, or other matters such as the option for the poor, common good, stewardship of creation, those other social, social values. I'm not saying we necessarily need to choose between them, but I think a scattergun approach which attempts to do, deal with all is probably likely to be um, a failure. And I think that's one of the issues which church members and religious believers have to, have to come to grips with in, uh, uh, in Australian, Australian politics. I don't think the churches and religious believers have quite come to grips collectively with what Christian belief equates to in political terms. What's the prime political outcome of the Christian religious belief in Australia at the moment? I'm not saying that individuals haven't worked that out for themselves, but collectively uh, I think we see that there is a variety of positions. There's a, Christians, of course, spread right across the political spectrum who will argue that what they're doing is not contrary to their Christian beliefs. Uh, and that's something that Christians in politics need to, to recognise, that it's not just working out our own priorities, but justifying them um, in terms of engaging with the, uh, with the political process. And I think the record of the, uh, the interaction of the churches with, Australia, with politics in Australia is that it's not always clear just what Christian belief equates to in political, political terms. Other than, and this is sometimes the lowest common denominator position, um, the sorts of things I was saying earlier about urging Christians to be involved in politics, respect for politics as a vocation, um, conducting politics in an ethical way, telling the truth, for instance, things like, like this, dealing with one another in a Christian fashion. There are a number of things that Christians can say about the conduct of politics and involvement in politics. And, and, and the churches and religious groups say them um, reliably at each federal election. Um, but I'm not... Sh and that's only going so far. And uh, I'm not sure it's always heard by, uh, by those in the political process um, uh, anyway. I think as a background to talking about the churches and religious religion and politics, we need to consider the churches as political actors. Um, and I don't immediately mean at the local level, but I think some of these uh, themes apply at whatever level of, of church we're, we're speaking about, whatever level of religious belief. Certainly strengths and weaknesses, strengths and weaknesses. I don't think, I don't think religious believers should downplay their strengths because they are considerable. Uh, but they also need to recognise their weaknesses uh, in dealing with the political process. I see the churches, and I, it, it could be just one church or the Christian church as a whole in Australia, as big, diverse and lumbering, lumbering, not agile as far as politics is, is concerned. Um, and some of that, to be big, is, to be, to be big is a strength. Um, to be diverse is probably a weakness, um, although it can be a strength on some occasions. To be lumbering and not particularly agile, and to be bureaucratic, 
which I think the church is at every level, uh, is also not usually a political political strength. Not not uh, able to move quickly, not able to uh, gather gather our forces together easily. Uh, all of those all of those things. Of course, the churches have strengths. They are often respected in the community, even in the even in the sec- more secular world. Um, even among people who uh, have no religious belief, uh, often will um, sit up and take notice if uh, religious believers or religious belief, uh, leaders speak. Not all of them, of course, but some will. Um, that's a strength. But on the other hand, the, the image of religious believers and the Christian churches has been tarnished. There's no doubt about that. So if we're if uh, we, if uh, the churches are saying something in the political process, some people will dismiss that out of hand as, as saying, well, look after your own shop before you tell us how to act. Child sexual abuse has been a huge negative in terms of public uh, perception of, uh, of what the churches have to say. And I think um, that has weakened the, uh, the witness or the advocacy that the uh, churches uh, are able to uh, offer, and there's also the question of the shrinking base uh, of the uh, of the Christian church. Now, it may be that two thirds of Australians are Christian, and the Australian Christian Lobby, which is one of the lobby groups in Canberra, uh, is always saying, "Well, we speak for two thirds of the Australian community, and you should listen to us." But the people in Canberra are not fools; they know, in fact, that uh, only 17% of Christians are monthly churchgoers. And only 9% of Christians are weekly churchgoers. So they know that they're dealing with a force which, while still formidable, is much weaker and smaller than it has been in the past. That the uh, battalions that the re- religious leaders can call on are much fewer than they've, been, than they've been, in the, been in the past. So let's be realistic. But while being realistic, 9% of people going to a, an identifiable location every Sunday... Uh, is more than most other uh, advocacy groups have got to offer. Uh, the trade union movement's almost down to uh, 10 or 12%, uh, and most of the other organisations have nowhere near the local organisation that uh, churches have. There'd be very few uh, community organisations, um, you know, in this world of what they call bowling alone, that everyone is more and more individual. There's fewer uh, groups like the churches around. So I think we shouldn't be defensive about uh, what uh, numbers are at, at uh, our disposal and those that we uh, speak for. And I think that probably applies in, this is a diversion, <laughs> applies to talking to the local MP as much as it does talking to Tony Abbott or, or Julia Gillard. Um, the other factor, which can work both ways, is that pro- many MPs are Christians. Um, many, many political leaders are, are, are Christians. And that means that there is at least an avenue for connection with, uh, uh, with those leaders. I would say that for very few of them, their Christianity is their first uh, um, um, obligation or their first uh, identity. Um, but even so, part of their identity is as, is as Christians. Um, having said that, of course, there'll be those who, who are disillusioned and who, uh, who have a negative view of uh, Christians, but I think overall there's a, there's a plus there. Um, there's a real issue uh, 
in religion and politics between collective and individual church action. Agreement is hard enough within a single church, perhaps even within a single parish or a single uh, organisation. It's extraordinarily difficult, as you know, across churches. And, and these are all factors which have played into the interaction between religious belief and the churches in Australian politics in recent, recent federal elections. There is a left and right within all the churches, just as there is in politics, and we all know it's there. Um, in fact, it's quite possible now that the divisions within the churches are, are so strong that uh, the uh, that is, if you're a conservative within your church, you've probably got more in common with the conservative in another Christian church than you have with the progressive in your own church, and, and likewise for the progressives, I think. Increasingly, there are the lines of collaboration are drawn across churches rather than rather than within churches because there's often so little agreement about the core issues. Not necessarily that there's not some basis for consensus, but when we talk about priorities, which I think is an essential in the political process, that people, there's little agreement about uh, priorities. It's not to say that there's not collaboration and, that, and uh, it can be collaboration on which helps both sides of the political spectrum. We saw it in 2004, the collaboration between the Anglican and Catholic Archbishops of Melbourne and Sydney, which shot down Mark Latham's education policy and uh, probably played a large role in the outcome of that election. We're seeing it in this election, for instance, something that I'm closer to because um, it's involved in the social services area. Anglicare, Catholic Social Services, the Salvation Army and a Uniting Care are working together closely and issuing a number of policy statements on social issues um, from a, quite an ecumenical perspective. So they work together in between elections and they work together in elections as well, at election time as well, and we, we could see many other examples of such uh, collaboration. Um, the relationship between religion and Political parties, for those with a longer memory, of course, is very much tied with the traditional Catholic Labour link and, uh, and a, and a non-Catholic coalition. But that, that has, of course, been transformed and there's a lecture in itself, a book in itself, but that, there's a certain amount of lingering of that, that relationship, I think, um, in the terms of the relationship between religion and, religion and politics. Along the lines of what I was just saying, I think... Uh, in all the churches, there's probably a closer tie uh, between uh, many of those concerned with social policy and the Labor Party, those concerned with more con con conservative social uh, policy issues with the, uh, with the coalition. As I said before, in modern Australian politics, I think denomination is now less important than, than questions of observance and common beliefs and those conservative progressive uh, divisions that I was speaking about. I am going to get to talking about elections, but I hope you can see that the point of my argument is to is is that you can only understand what goes on in elections, I think, by the broader context. And understanding what the church can contribute in 2010 has to be aware of some of other modern developments. Some I've mentioned, some I haven't. One, of course, is increasing secularisation. Um, the fact that, um, and, th and this is partly about what audience the church has for its intervention in politics. I think one of the basic questions is, is the church only talking to its own 
or is the church trying to talk to the whole whole community? And to make a crude generalization, I think in, by about the 1950s, the church was essentially working through its own community and then into the wider community as a sort of flow-on effect. And that, that could work when you had high levels of church attendance, when you had substantial um, Christian commitment in the wider community. Um, now I think um, a voice which only talks within the church, no matter how persuasive it is, is only talking to a much smaller minority of the community than it has been uh, in, the, in the past. It's still, an, it's still an important avenue and it's still an avenue that a lot of the agencies, the church agencies, take in spreading the message of social justice. But it has to be, I think, done side by side with a, with a conscious effort to speak to the whole community um, from a church base uh, and not just restrict it to who, the people who happen to be in the pews on a Sunday uh, who might read the Catholic Social Justice Statement every September or who might read other leaflets which come out from the agencies. Uh, the schools are obviously a, have a wider um, outlet and that, I suppose, is a broader question of strategy and tactics uh, given the, uh, the wider denominational spread of, of uh, individuals in, in private schools. But that is also perhaps a topic for another for another day. The other is, I suppose, professional media politics, the extent to which modern politics is uh, uh, run through the media um, in, a, in a way which can be disembodied from local, local connections. Um, I do a weekly spot with the ABC in Cairns, would you believe? And uh, one of the questions they had for me when I last spoke to them, um, um, just uh, yesterday morning, was, uh, you know, that t Tony Abbott came to Cairns and he didn't speak to the local media very much. He was mainly concerned with doing interviews which had an, a national um, focus. And I think that's just one uh, quite good example of the fact that we see Julia Gillard and Tony Abbott going around Australia at breakneck speed. They are, in a sense, interested in the local community but I think they're mainly interested in how that interest in the local community is given a national outlet so that you're, you're meeting and greeting. Um, you're not so much interested in the local radio station or the local newspaper. Uh, they can, they'll get some media releases and so on. But you're interested in that bus full of national journalists who are following the, the party leaders all around the, all around the country. It's quite an insight uh, for me. And although... At the national level, the churches are making great step, steps in uh, professional media. A lot of people working for the church in, uh, as media uh, advisors and so on. Uh, it's probably also that an issue that the local level has to uh, be aware of, be aware of uh, too as a way of uh, um, reaching a wider, a wider audience. Um, and of course that applies to social policy connections as well as to the federal elections. You know, uh, uh, I'm told that you know, this may end up on YouTube and uh, that's just a small example of, uh, in a sense, 
it matters how many people are standing in front of the political leader, but it matters even more how many people are watching the performance on TV. Uh, in a sense, you don't need to have, uh, have people uh, in front of you. Um, but to still a major voice compared to others, a base for local action is still strong. I'm happy to come back to those, those uh, general points, as well as the basis for, for a national, national action. Now, before going on to talk about uh, uh, the 2007 election and then the 2010 election, because I think the two need to be taken together uh, for a fuller understanding of what's going on um, at, the, at the moment. Um, let's quickly look at... There's two types of interaction, I think. This is, a, again, a, broad, a great generalisation. Two types of interaction between religion and politics. One, one I would call the old religion, the old religion and politics. And the concerns of the old religion and politics were firmly aspirational. That is, it was about education, it was about health, it was about welfare, and it was about government support for the efforts of the, of the churches in those, in those areas. Uh, and I think the churches and religious groups have been largely successful in the old politics. Um, over the years, in education, in health and in welfare and aged care and in other areas, I think you would have to say that as part of the general development of the, of the welfare state, churches have got their share, if you like, in looking after their own community and looking after the wider, the wider community. I'm not sorry to put it in such blunt, blunt terms. I think in more recent times, the new politics of religion has been about the role of evangelicals in Australian politics, broadly speaking, the role of Assemblies of God, the role of Pentecostal churches, the role of, uh, if you like, a new type of, of religion, often described as a very individualistic type of religion, who may have some interest in those older issues, but are talking of the language of so-called family values, the social conservatism, which is often called the religious right. Um, and I think over the last six to ten years in Australia, there's been a great media frenzy about that sort of involvement between religion and politics, even to the extent of uh, um, you know, the Brethren and the Opus Dei and a whole range of other groups. My point would be that the central concerns of the institutional churches are still the bread and butter of interaction between religion and politics, both in financial terms, I think, and in terms of the possible impact on policy. Um, partly because the churches are the ones who are delivering those services and that gives a great deal of leverage in uh, getting involved in the political argument about the direction of those, of those services. The rise of the religious right, so-called, I think, was exaggerated in the media, um, but it certainly scared Labor, for one, into action after 2004. And there's a very interesting story of Kevin Rudd's um, uh, project I would call it, uh, Kevin Rudd's project to reposition the Labor Party as a party which would attract its share of religious believers. Labor really believed after 2004, in the middle of talk about Hillsong and, and uh, Family First suddenly coming onto the horizon, Steve Fielding getting elected in Victoria and um, a number of other electorates um, where... Uh, Evangelical Christians and the role of the Lions Forum, which was a conservative faction within the that's L Y O N S uh, Enid Lions, uh, 
and Joe Lyons, the Lyons Forum within the Liberal Party, I think the Labor Party really thought that they were slipping behind, that they were losing the, the, the old staple of the Catholics and it wasn't being replaced by anyone else from, from the churches and that all of the churches, um, the Evangelical Anglicans and other churches were moving in to support the, the coalition. I think that was all a bit of a s exaggerated, but it certainly shaped Australian politics over the last six years as far as religion and politics is concerned. About that time, a body called the Australian Christian Lobby was set up in Canberra claiming to speak for all Christians. Now, it doesn't speak for all Christians. It's a largely evangelical-based um, organisation, but it's, it's innovative and it's creative and it's got a lot of money because people in the Baptist churches, the evangelical churches and others are maintaining a large secretariat in Canberra. And one of the things that the established churches, the Catholics, the Anglicans, the Uniting Church, have to work out is how are we going to deal with these new kids on the block as far as religion and politics is concerned. We don't want to lose our own identity because we think we have distinctive beliefs, but we need to engage with the fact that there's someone else claiming to speak for Christians and claiming quite effectively to speak for for Christians, and not just Hillsong, and where you know any politician worth their salt ended up speaking at Hillsong in 2004. Even Bob Carr, who was totally declared atheist, went to Hillsong to talk about. Uh, uh, and why wouldn't you go somewhere which is 20,000 young people who uh, are enthusiastic about something, and they say they want to get involved in uh, in politics? And that's the other thing about the evangelicals; they do tend to have a very high percentage of young people. And, and young people are very important in political action. Um, but that's, a, that's an aside there. Uh, again, but the Australian Christian Lobby, um, uh, led by a guy called Jim Wallace, who's a former SAS uh, uh, officer, um, is very enthusiastic. And it, uh, you can always tell where the power lies because the politicians are attracted. It. And just as they were attracted to Hillsong, they started to be attracted to the Australian Christian lobby. And even people like uh, Kim Beasley, who a, a devo devoted Christian personally, but always believed that politics and Christ that religion was not something he talked about publicly in politics. And I think that's the other change that's happened in Australian politics, that everyone is talking publicly about their religious journey and their life story, and, uh, and it's all part of that. Um, and that's an enormous change. I mean, there's been so many changes. I mean, one of them is the change from Catholics Labor to Catholic uh, Liberal. But a second one is this incredible change, which I think many of us will recognize. Religion was something you didn't talk about. I've recently had a project trying to look at the religious beliefs of Australian Prime Ministers. And you would think that's a pretty easy project. In fact, it's not, because with some of them, um, it was very hard to discover exactly what their religious beliefs or denomination affiliation was. It was just not part of what people wanted to know uh, um, about them. But that's, a, that's another a story. I suppose the historical context, going back to 2004, and I've already mentioned the political debate about Labor's education policy, and, uh, and education has been one of those issues that's been very uh, political for many, many, many years. Um, the interesting thing about it was that, and this is another part of the uh, 
interaction between religion and politics is that the established churches are very hierarchical, as we all know. And if uh, if you get four archbishops making a frontal assault on a on a party's political program, then it's no amount of local action um, will overturn the impression in the community that the whole church is against against this. And I know, in fact, that. Uh, this is a Catholic perspective because that's my background. The National Catholic Education Commission was quite happy with Mark Latham's education policy, uh, but was blown out of the water uh, totally by uh, a statement by the bishops. And that's not taking political sides necessarily. It's a fact of life that uh, if you're saying one thing and, and uh, your leaders are saying another, then uh, one, it's very hard to disagree with them, but two, you probably don't want to go into a public staff with your leaders anyway, uh, so they've really got you uh, effectively. Uh, there's no way you can have this out. And this has happened repeatedly. It happened in 1998 when the churches divided on the GST. Remember the GST? Um, there was a united position and uh, Cardinal Pell um, broke from that position uh, and said there was no one single position on the GST. Um, and I'm sorry to concentrate on Cardinal Pell, but against, again, in, over climate change, there's no doubt that his position on climate change is extremely influential, even though um, the, the Catholic Earth Care Australia and other bodies have a quite different opinion. Um, and it's just a, it's just a fact. Um, uh, he is an extraordinarily... Uh, He's recognised in the Australian community as the probably the most uh, high-profile Christian leader. And what he says, certainly true in Sydney and may still be true in Melbourne, uh, he gets an ex extraordinary amount of publicity. What happened over that period, and I will move on, was that I think you could describe the Howard period as one in which the churches, the Christian churches, were in many ways the opposition uh, were part of a very important part of the opposition on social policy, on industrial relations, opposition to work choices, on taxation and economic rationalism, opposition to the GST, on indigenous rights, support for indigenous rights, on peace and war, often speaking out about aspects of or the entire commitment to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, the Gulf War. Um, so the churches led the opposition, but they failed. I think it is a uh, it has to be said that, and the Australian Catholic Social Justice Council published a booklet called A Fair Go, which was 10 years after Commonwealth for the Common Good, the major statement in 1992. And I think most of the commentators would feel as though a concerted effort to influence public policy largely failed because it was not taken up by the government of the day. And it has to be said, much of it, agenda was not taken up by the opposition of the day either, which puts the concern of, uh, for social policy of the churches in an even more difficult position. It's bad enough when the government doesn't take up your position, but if the opposition doesn't take up your position either, then you really are uh, between a, uh, a hard place. What's the saying? A rock and a hard place. You are indeed between a rock and a hard place. And I think that's part of the story of the 2010 election, to jump forward to 2010. But could I just say something about 2007 first? Um, it, 
a fellow academic of mine, political scientist Rodney Smith, has written a very interesting article about the 2007 election, which illustrates a lot of the, uh, uh, the things that I'm saying tonight. And that is that there is an extraordinary amount of interaction be between religion and politics. There's an extraordinary number of groups at all levels in the Christian churches who attempt to influence the political process. Um, there are so many different agencies and there are so many different churches and, and even right down to the parish level. Um, he, uh, he analyzes all of this output and concludes that there are about 57 major issues which the churches were putting to the political process during the 2007 uh, election. Uh, he ultimately concludes that it wasn't so much that the conservative advocates of social policy were successful in 2007, he's talking about the Australian Christian lobby, but that the impact of the churches as a whole was dissipated to a large extent by the fact that we were on about too many things. Uh, and perhaps one lesson of politics is work out what you really want and argue for it, uh, even to the extent of, of letting other issues fall to the ground for the, for the time being. Um, now, that's not easy to achieve because we all have our own issues and we all think something is the first priority. But I think the churches and many other groups in the community fail because of too much diversity and too much scattergun approach and too much wasted uh, energy. Some of it just is a natural cancelling out of for every political group there's an equal and opposite reaction and you do, there is a lot of cancelling out in the political process which is not to, to I mean I'm involved at the local level at the moment in wearing another hat and, and you really have to do things at the local level but there's a lot of cancelling out but even if you get the people on one side of the divide together and who are agreed about political issues I think um, working together is certainly part of the part of the what it's all about to be successful. Just very briefly then, before I do get to 2010, remembering Kevin Rudd's appeal to Christians, the social gospel and labour, um, his Faith in Politics article in the monthly magazine, uh, his attempt to convince his colleagues, Christian and otherwise, that uh, for labour to be successful, it, it had to reach out to the middle ground of the Christian community and that if it didn't, it would slowly lose a very important part of that of that community. I actually think that Rudd's not a... It's almost a dirty word at the moment. Uh, it, it, I've been reading a book on the plane called Rudd's Way, a new book, and it's uh, it's, it's very harsh on, on Kevin Rudd. But I think in this particular area, uh, I do think that his Christian persona uh, did win votes for him. And, and it, it's it's... Something that's quite difficult to, it's intangible almost, but I think you need a personality in politics to be successful. And I think the religious aspects of Kevin Rudd, some of which may have grated, he was interviewed too much outside church and this sort of thing, but it did suggest a depth to the man, which I think uh, was appealing, at least in the 2007 election. And of course, Tony Abbott, who was really, the Rudd Abbott show was all about religion and politics. Tony Abbott quickly twigged to the fact that this was working for Kevin Rudd and attempted in the lead up to the 2007 election um, to, uh, to put a different 
view of religion and politics in which social conservatism was the preeminent expression of, of uh, religion and politics. And that's, a, that's an expression which appeals to a lot of, a lot of people. Um, there was a recent Eureka Street article just in the last couple of days and I was reading a lot of the comments and it was very much along the lines of social, social conservatism being the most appropriate expression of Christian, Christian belief. Um, and that was Tony Abbott's rejoinder largely and also arguing that whatever Kevin Rudd's beliefs that the Labor Party as a whole was had a generally secular humanist tenor uh, which would um, uh, was antagonistic perhaps to, to church and religious interests and it brought to mind the statement which I don't know whether it's got much publicity in Victoria but the Catholic Archbishop of Perth who's said, issued a I've got the headline here in the Western Australian, you know, which Archbishop warns against uh, um, growing secularisation in Australia and worries that the um, beliefs of the current Prime Minister will be antagonistic to, uh, to the churches uh, and, to, uh, and to religious belief. That's a very powerful interjection in, a, in an election campaign. And uh, many people would sell their souls for front pages of the newspaper and banner headlines. Um, and that's, uh, that's a fact of politics. I would say, just to before getting on to the 2010 election, that in one way, Kevin Rudd, Tony Abbott and now Julie Gillard are equally unusual, but in different ways, in the history of Australian Prime Ministers. I think the history of Australian society, perhaps, but Australian Prime Ministers, is of a low-temperature religion. And it's not my phrase, it's one used by Gary Baumler from Monash University. And that is, it's a sort of a laid-back Australian version of, you know, uh, sort of a Christian, but, you know, sort of not. Um, and it's surprising how many Australian Prime Ministers fit into that category. They'll go through the formalities and within the family context, the baptisms and marriages and funerals, but uh, not much more than that. And now in a row we've had uh, John Howard first, then Kevin Rudd, who is possibly the most observant Christian Prime Minister Australia has ever had. And now we have Julie Gillard, who in another way is departing from uh, the norm. Um, I don't know whether she's used the term atheist, but it's been attached to her. She has in, with John Fane in Victoria, I think. Her beliefs are nothing unusual in Australian politics. They're very, very similar to Gough Whitlam's beliefs and very similar to Bob Hawke's beliefs. But there's something about contemporary Australian society that means that it wasn't really so much an issue for Hawke and Whitlam, even though Hawke was always talking about his tra uh, transformation in, in India and when he gave it all up and this sort of thing. Suddenly, prime ministers are being put on, their, on the spot about their religious, uh, religious beliefs. And Tony Abbott, even, uh, is now... I went along to this Australian Christian lobby. They run a Meet the a Making It Count forum where the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition come along. Tony Abbott went out of his way to describe himself not as a Christian politician, but as a Christian po in politics. Don't vote for me because I am a Christian. Um, now, maybe he felt that a lot of those present would vote for him because he was a Christian, but he, he was reading, I think, that his reading of Australian society was that there's danger of overdoing these things and that you pull back to the pull back to the centre. Now, Tony Abbott and religion and politics 
uh, is a whole new story. And if he becomes Prime Minister, there will be a whole new story of religion and politics in Australia. The 2010 election. I think I've got a few more minutes. <laughs> the choices between the churches. I think the, the rock and the hard place, which uh, I didn't... That was a phrase that came from you. Um, the major parties and the rush to the centre, the sort of thing that Bruce Duncan is saying uh, here in the editorial, which I've just read. Climate change, asylum seekers, same-sex marriage, uh, indigenous rights and, and many others perhaps. Certainly as part of the dynamic of this 2010 uh, election, where, what, where do those interested in progressive social policy go in two-party two party terms? I don't think the answer is very clear to me at the moment. Um, then, of course, there's this the faith of the alternative, alternative leaders and, and what, that, what that means. What has happened, I think, is that and I've been watching all of the statements on social policy by the various national groups. Um, comments on social policy are often critical of both major parties. Um, perhaps a little bit more critical of the coalition, but strikingly critical of the Labor Party, I think, from the... Um, for instance, Caritas speaking out on cuts to foreign, foreign aid proposed by the coalition. That was one in which the coalition was uh, singled out. But the major church providers, that is the Anglicans, the Uniting Care, the Salvation Army and the Catholics, uh, speaking up about the need for mental health expenditure. Um, Catholic Religious Australia speaking out on asylum seekers and a number of groups speaking out on asylum seekers and not really getting much joy on either side of major party major party politics. So that certainly is an issue for religion and politics in the current in the current election. To some Christian believers that won't be a worry, but if, if Christian belief leads to a certain set of social values, then it is a worry because two party politics doesn't it's like the two airline policy really. Uh, you've got a choice between Qantas and Virgin and sometimes neither of them uh, are up to scratch. One alternative is the one alternative is the Greens. And the notable thing about the Greens, not an alternative for all Christians by any means, but one of the things about the, is that over the last five or six years, the relationship between the Greens and Christians uh, has been a very fractured relationship. Um, not because of environmental policy, but because of other, other policies. Christian opposition to the Greens is widespread among the conservative wing of the Christian churches, Australian Christian lobby, um, Cardinal Pell, many others, on same-sex marriage, on education, because the Greens are seen to be a supporter of public education rather than private education. Um, issues like prayers in Parliament. Bob Brown is one of those who uh, has argued for the uh, removal of prayers at the beginning of, beginning of Parliament. Um, that, that issues like some of those smaller issues, uh, chaplaincy program is a big issue with uh, parts of the Christian community. I went, as I said, I went along to the Australian Christian Lobby meeting and uh, there were quite a number of questions along these, along these lines. It was a sort of a, an arrangement by which all of the churches came to an agreement about which were the seven or ten most high priority issues. And among the seven or ten were, uh, were what's your attitude to prayers in Parliament? What's your attitude to same-sex marriage? What's your attitude to uh, chaplains in schools? 
and both Kevin Rudd and Tony Abbott were very diplomatically supportive of the, what I would characterise as the conservative Christian position on all of those, on all of those issues. So if you say the churches are um, strong or advocate successfully in those in those areas, uh, maybe that's the that's the case. Not so much in other areas. Uh, and there's also been a lot of condemnation by. Um, or many Catholic commentators uh, in newspapers like the Australian of the, of the Greens. Um, I've mentioned the Australian Christian lobby, so I won't go on with it, but uh, there was discussion of climate change. There were discussion of indigenous issues. All of these were put to the political leaders, um, but that was trying to balance this diversity among the Christian community. It's a fascinating sociological uh, experiment to be part of, to, to see all of these Christian leaders together in the one room knowing that they had quite different political priorities often. And that how do you, how do you make a, uh, an effective political weapon when uh, you have quite different, quite different priorities? What you do, of course, is you try and give everyone a voice. And in trying to give everyone a voice, then I think you, are, you diminish the power of the single voice, which uh, many groups in politics are aiming for. There have been many individual church interventions so far in this election, and I've mentioned some of them, by agencies, by religious orders, by Catholic Religious Australia. Um, I haven't seen much of a major national statement yet. Uh, and one of the problems for major national statements is that it's very difficult to go beyond the bland because priorities are very difficult to, uh, difficult to agree on. Um, and I'm not sure how you do that and maintain your... Um, the strength of your united, united voice. I heard a visiting American uh, recently speaking about the role of the American bishops in, in, uh, in American politics, and he was saying that on some issues now they send three bishops out together, uh, the left, the right, and the centre, and that satisfies the whole of the uh, American Catholic Church. But it doesn't effectively uh, tell the political leaders uh, that this... This church is united behind a particular particular point of view, but I think we, I think Christians. It's a metaphor for how divided Christians are, and it could happen in any parish, in any diocese, in any church. Uh, you could represent yourself very easily by picking three or four different points of different points of view. There are many options still open um, for intervention in politics over the next three three weeks or so. Um, and I, I have some broad advice on, on what that uh, intervention might be. Um, I suppose we have to ask the question, is it worth saying anything apart from generalities and platitudes? I think it is, but it's a hard job sometimes to get beyond the generalities. The church no longer has much sway in its own faith community even, which would be one avenue to take to convince... That, and the political process would still take notice of a united Christian voice or a united Catholic voice on uh, political issues. But it's not easy when there's such diversity. And one commentator said during the whole of the John Howard period, when a Christian leader or a, uh, in some cases a Catholic leader questioned what the government was doing, the Prime Minister could turn to his right or turn to his left 
and turn to the Anglicans in the cabinet and turn to the Catholics in the cabinet and say, is that a fair representation of what Catholics think? Is that a fair representation of what Anglicans think? And, the, and his cabinet members would invariably say, no, don't worry about that, John. Uh, and that, and that's, that's powerful. That, that is powerful. And we have to recognise that that's what, what goes on. Um, so we must think carefully through the prospective audience and the prospective means of doing things. I suppose the continuing dilemma is what to say and how to say it. What churches agree upon and what they do not. It's a wicked dilemma for religious believers and for the churches. Another, another uh, dilemma, knowing that the religious communities are fairly evenly divided politically, party politically, is how to avoid partisanship in an election campaign without descending into blandness. And if you don't descend into blandness and you make a very strong statement, how do you cope with the fact that up to half of your community, your own community, will disagree with what you've just said? And I suppose it means you just have to be strong and dialogue and all of these things, but it's a fact of political life that that is the that that is the case. I think, and I will finish on this, that the key questions, if the churches want to say anything, are three. Um, one is collaboration. Uh, I really do think there is strength in numbers, as the old saying goes, and if the collaboration is ecumenical, all the better, uh, because yet another slogan, in unity is strength. Um, second is profile, how to establish a profile and how and how think through how to achieve it a profile in the local community through the media or through or through uh, local uh, c celebrities or local political leaders of course through the local MP uh, how to be heard beyond a smaller a small group at whatever level you're um, uh, you're working at and in some cases, that will mean special training, I think, for how to deal with the media and how, all of these sorts of things, which I think are worth any group at any level uh, uh, getting involved in. And finally, priorities. So it's collaboration, profile, and priorities. Um, and I think with my time on the Catholic Social Justice Council and to some extent on Catholic Social Services Australia, each federal election we've issued uh, statements Sometimes we've done the remarkable and collaborated with another agency in the same church to issue a single, single statement. That's quite an effort. Um, I think we've probably tried to do too much, too many issues, and I think the too many issues dilutes the effectiveness because it's a very rare government or a very rare opposition who can't say, you've presented me with six issues of concern and on two of these, I agree with you, and I'll work hard on those on those two. Um, I think not we don't often enough really push ourselves uh, on our priorities, and it's very hard. But I think in an election campaign, a priority has to be established, and sometimes I think it has to be a quite precise priority within a particular issue. But perhaps even asylum seekers and refugees is not is not uh, precise enough a priority. It perhaps needs to be, we would like the government to do 
you know, this, this, and this uh, to do with temporary protection visas or processing or or something, something which will connect with the debate that's going on in the community as a solution, as well as being a highly ethical position and one which should challenge the, the politicians philosophically, the best sort of intervention is one which will give the politicians something that they can do, that they can grasp on and, uh, and perhaps act on. Or a local MP can take it up through the ranks of their party and say, here's a good idea of how to address this particular, particular issue. Thank you very much.